2: All right, John, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the pivotal week for your money, the best of the year for stocks. Still so many questions, though, hanging over these markets. The Investment Committee with me today to debate the road ahead. Joining me for the hour, Brenda Vingello, Jason Snipe, Steve Weiss, John and the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go to the wall. It's 12 noon in the east. I'll show you where we are trading right now. Dow's down by 127, 130-ish. S&P and the NASDAQ are positive, but really, what a week. A huge week for the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ 100. Best Dow week since November of 2020. You're really going back to November of 2020 for each of the major averages in terms of the production in the market this week. And, yes, there's the note. The 10-year note yield is 215. Our question, does it mean the bulls have new momentum and that the worst is, in fact, over, that, in fact, we have bottomed? Ricky Sandler was with me, guys, in OT this week. Here's what I asked him. Do you think that the worst of the selling is over? No, I don't. Um, You know, I I don't like to make short term predictions, but I think we see lower lows this year. Um, I, I think the market probably ends the year, you know, here or lower. Okay, Jason Snipe, do you agree with Ricky Sandler or have we, in fact, put in a bottom as we have the best week? for the major averages since November of 2020.
1: Yeah, I tend to I tend to agree here with Ricky. I think there is more volatility ahead. But what I will say on the other side of the coin, QT is behind us. The economy is still strong. Right. And, and I think the Fed chair uh, confirmed that with his with his uh, commentary earlier this week. And if when I look at those things behind us and I kind of look at the second half of this year and potentially inflationary pressure is starting to come down. The PPI was a little cooler than expected, which is which was nice to see. But what I'm what I'm focused on is supply chains. If supply chains start to ease later this year, will the Fed be as aggressive as they've discussed earlier this week, you know, from a tightening perspective? I think time will tell and we'll see how, how that evolves. But I, I do think we can see some intermittent bounces here over the next couple of weeks as we kind of head back into a second round of earnings season. So that's that's really where I'm at uh, from a from a market perspective.
2: All right. Weiss, what do you think about what Ricky told me yesterday?
3: I don't disagree with Ricky. You know, look, the Fed has one goal in mind, and that goal is to get inflation down. And the only way to do that is to slow the economy. And there are some things that they can slow. There are some things they can't slow. So they can slow basically the flow of money and that they're going to do, but they can't slow the conflict that we're seeing in Russia. They can't slow or impact what may happen with China and what came out of the call from with Biden and Xi on state China media was just not positive whatsoever and provides China cover to continue to rattle the saber against Taiwan. But when Powell talks about the economy, yes, it is strong now. However, I just don't believe the signals pointing forward point to as, as strong an economy. And why I say that is because input, input costs have risen dramatically. And they haven't even really started to come through except at the gas tank and at food that we've seen over the last year. So my point is you're going to see hyper price increases. You're going to see consumers less equipped, and they're not well equipped now to handle those increases, So ultimately, it's going to slow down and show an impact to earnings, which I think will show reductions. So that means that what I've been making the case for is that multiples have to contract and they probably will overshoot, given that the Fed is the most hawkish I've seen in decades at this point. And by the way, is more hawkish. Nobody, very few people well, let's not say very few. Let's say a lot of people that are investors now have not lived through this kind of tightening cycle and don't know how they're going to respond to it, really don't know how the economy responds. So to wrap it all up for you, Scott, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. I think the market remains in a trading range. And depending on what happens on the geopolitical front, which are not these one-day flare-ups like in the Middle East that you could see a market that trades lower than where we were before. Well, you but Delta- I have added some money Well, why would you
2: buy Delta Airlines then, yeah. if that's your view?
3: Well, uh, it doesn't mean that there aren't stocks to buy there. And keep in mind that going into this and through, through it, I've been in 30% net long the market. So now I'm up to about 45% net long the market. Adding to the number of positions I have, Delta just got too cheap. I I wouldn't buy the other airlines because there are only a couple that hedge, Delta and Alaska Air. Don't forget, Delta bought a refinery. But you still have all this pent-up demand for travel. I've been traveling quite a bit lately, and it's growing. It's going to continue to grow. So that's why I bought Delta. I thought you got it at a pretty good price here. It was beaten up and and then beaten up again. So that's why I bought Delta.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at you bought more XPO, GXO. I mean, if things in the economy are going to get so bad, it's interesting that you're adding money. To those types of stocks, Volkswagen, it's, you know, maybe a story stock is right. is is uh, with, with that one. But Jabil as well. I mean, you know, economically couple, sensitive names yeah. as well, while you're kind of dumping on the economic picture.
3: Well, first of all, I mentioned Brad Jacobs, he, he announced that he's uh, spinning off a part of XPO and the value that back of the envelope is about one hundred dollars a share. So if you take a look at what he did with GXO, that was underestimated also when he spun that out. Take a look at GXO. They're an outsourcer, basically. So you own a Nike sneaker, you return it, it goes to GXO, they do the reverse logistics. If you're a company and their, their customers are Apple, it's Nike, it's GM, pick a company, they're doing the business. If you outsource to them, you pick up two to 300 basis points in your margin so with cost pressures on companies they're going to want to outsource more and i believe that you're in the front end still in the front end of e-commerce and europe's behind us two-thirds of their business is europe one-third is the u.s volkswagen look that's four times earnings it's ridiculous it's down because the german market's down autos are down in general Four times, a news story came out that they're actually talking to Apple about what they can do together. Can you imagine that? But over time, you know, Volkswagen, you've got no credit for what they announced with the Porsche spin, which to me unlocks tremendous, tremendous value. So I think this is one of the cheapest stocks trading in the okay. market.
2: Brenda, do you think we bottomed or not?
4: I think it's hard to determine whether we've really bottomed I honestly think we need to get some kind of resolution to this conflict before the market truly will bottom. But that being said I mean I agree with a lot of the previous comments just about the the backdrop of the economic environment right now remains very strong. But I think we've also seen a lot of strategists come out and lower earnings uh, for the S&P 500 you know Goldman just came out and lowered the expectation to only 5% growth and you strip out energy they're only looking for 2% earnings growth this year. It seems pretty draconian and I know. uh, um, there are certainly concerns about a consumer slowdown, but we just haven't seen it. Um, so I think, especially if, if the scenario plays out like Jason painted earlier, where we do see some of the supply chain pressures start to alleviate as the year goes on, and if there is some kind of resolution and that uh, contributes to commodity prices coming down a little bit, that we is, it's, it's, there's a chance that things will not be quite as bad as what some are predicting. And we won't end up in the stagflationary environment, which I think the market is now, you know, it's all over the headlines. Market really is baking that in as a real potential uh, a scenario that plays out here.
2: You know, Dr. J, Tom Lee today says bad news baked in. Kalanovic has been making that point uh, for a number of weeks now. You've had some other voices come on like Miner, this week and suggest that valuations have come down. Uh, enough that you can buy some some of the hardest hit stocks we've about to put in the best week, as I said, in you know a long time. Does it mean anything in terms of whether we have bottomed or not?
5: Well, uh, again, that's going to depend, Scott, on uh, the unknown unknowns. Um, but we certainly that, hope. Right. That, there's always uh, that. Right. Yes. There, there's always there, that. There is. But there isn't. But there isn't always a war going on. Uh, That that is one of those big unknowns, whether or not Europe or America gets drawn into that war. And then, of course, uh, the unthinkable, which I don't even want to speak about right now. So, uh, again, I would not bet on the end of the world, Scott. I've said that multiple times. You only get that bet once and nobody wants to be right on that one. Uh, So instead, I think it's just a question of, okay, how bad does it get? Do the supply chain issues that Jason and all of us hope get resolved, do they indeed get resolved or do they get worse from that phone call with the president and Xi Jinping? By that I mean uh, that does China get sort of pushed out and boxed in along with Russia because they refuse to basically condemn or shut down any trade with Russia? That could happen. That is one of those unknown unknowns. But other than that, Scott, I'm uh, pretty, uh, not euphoric at all, but pretty bullish um, from the levels we've seen. People were, you know, just three days ago, four days ago, Apple below 150. Today, Mm -hmm. it's back through 162. Um, There are plenty of examples like that for Scott Miner to point to, for me to point to, that say that if you want to trade this, you better be doing it in a tax-free account, because if you're trading it Um, And then, you know, getting scared out at 150 or thereabouts and chasing back in at 160, 162. Just one example. You're burning up all the cash that you would have made trying to make that trade if you think you can time the market so well. So do I believe that the market's bottomed? Uh, For the most part, yes. Um, And am I willing to put capital to work? Yes. And have done that. Today or yesterday when Pete was on with you, we were buying Didi, for instance, D-I-D-I, and that stock has made a very nice move. Those Chinese internets that we talked about, or when I called into OT the other day, Scott, and I said, I'm out of my S&P puts, but I have put on a big spread out in June for the VIX. That's a disaster but not an end-of-the-world trade. And I figure that's enough protection for that.
2: These, these moves in the Chinese stocks are absolutely insane. Uh, and I, and I, I didn't Aren't even they? mention the number. Didi is up 53% today. And the moves all across that yeah. space this week are just absolutely epic. Um, it's something certainly to, yep. to keep an eye on. There, there you go, the K-Web itself. And there's Didi, up 53%. Um, the one that John Najarian was just talking about. The, look, the bottom line is if, if you're bullish... And you think, in fact, we have bottomed. Do you really have you really come to grips with what the Fed is going to do? Allegedly. I use the word allegedly because maybe the bond market doesn't believe that the Fed is going to be as aggressive as it laid out. Or as Governor Waller told Steve Leesman just a short time ago and Leesman's with us now. uh, Hawkish is an understatement, Steve, in terms of what Waller uh, told you. Data screaming to go 50 Geopolitical events made it 25. I mean, I think we all understand that. Use the, word, the words front-loading rate, rate hikes implies 50 points at one or more meetings in the near future. That's a quote. <coughs> I mean, he doesn't see a recession, but he certainly sees an environment of much higher interest rates.
6: Yeah, he thinks the economy is in pretty good shape to be able to handle this, Scott. And uh, um, what, what he wants to do is, is to get it all front-loaded and maybe— the kind of salve to that is maybe he has to do less on the back end, or the Fed has to do less on the back end. So if you look at what markets did, Scott, they pretty immediately adjusted. Uh, they 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 shot up to a fifty-three percent probability of a uh, fifty basis point rate hike in uh, at the next meeting, and then they kind of they came back down. They're now at forty-seven, you know. So uh, it's still elevated, still up there from where it was at thirty-five. And and you have to, I think it's prudent now to think about. What was the metric he laid out? If the geopolitical uncertainties fade or become clear, then Waller wants to go 50. I don't think that's a huge disagreement with where Powell is. Uh, Powell wants to be more prudent here. But I think Powell could be convinced of the need to go 50, especially if he's got a governor. And we know Bullard is on board and maybe a few others uh, that if things settle down by the time May or even June come around, I wouldn't be surprised to see a 50. I base mean, point
2: Steve, the, the thing that jumped out at me the most, a couple of things, the, the 50 at one or more meetings. And I truly wonder whether investors are, are going to come to grips with that. I mean, the, I, and I'm wondering what you make of the bond market and the reaction this week post Fed, even post Waller. It's not like rates are, are moving higher that dramatically. Um, threes, five, sevens are now yielding as much as the 10 year. I'm, I'm noting that and I'm not naive about that at, at all. That's the first thing. But what's right. your reaction there? And I'll, then I'll give you the second thing that caught my
6: eye. Well, you got the 5, like, uh, uh, sorry, the 7 is inverted to the 10. The 20 is inverted to the 30. I think uh, Santelli described it as all kinds of traffic jams inside the bond market. I think that's a great way to put it. Um, Look, the market has come, the bond market has come a long way and is fairly priced in, not the worst case scenario for the Fed, but a pretty strong scenario of Fed rate hikes. That two-year at, uh, what is it, 190 I'm looking at now, It may have another percentage point to go, but doesn't have to go there right now. Uh, So it's come a long way. And I guess the idea on the back end is the market is concerned about growth on the back end and maybe the Fed going too far. I think that's a legitimate concern. And, and, you know, somewhere in the 50-50 range is this idea of, hey, we have a soft landing and then, you know, the possibility that maybe it's not a soft landing. You have Kashkari right now on the tape, Uh, uh, Scott, I was just reading before the intro there, Um, While listening to your fabulous discussion at the same time, Kashkari did a mea culpa on getting inflation wrong. He said he was wrong, and he points out it's a possibility the Fed may have to raise even more than he thinks beyond neutral to uh, uh, cool the economy. Well, I
2: mean, he's been literally the most dovish of Fed presidents that I can think of. Maybe, I mean, you know it better than me, but I mean, literally, if you think of Fed Dove, it's like the guy's face is on... Is on the screen. Um, The other thing that I thought was most interesting to the investment committee and people like it, those who have money invested in the market, our viewers, uh, is Waller saying uh, for the markets, it's all about messaging um, by the Fed. And as long as the Fed is clear, the market can be okay. And I give him the benefit of the doubt to this point, because the market seems to be okay with the message coming from the Fed.
6: Yeah, I mean, I think that's true up to a point, And I think Powell is a little more, what's the word I'm looking for, maybe scared or, or, or more willing to treat the market with a little more kid gloves than Waller. Um, uh, Powell lived through the taper tantrum. I think he wants to avoid that. And so the idea is this. Um, what Waller's saying is there's this dance going on. And the dance is this. Uh, the Fed says something that is going to do. The market adjusts to it. Mm-hmm. Yesterday's rate hike had had very little economic consequence because yesterday's rate hike, uh, sorry, Wednesday's rate hike, uh, May's rate hike, and June's rate hike are already baked in. You know, we already got 130 basis points of tightening already in the market. So I think that's what Waller was talking about. And I think if the Fed begins a process, if it wants to, of telling us 50 is coming, the market will digest that. There is a point at which you. Uh, shove too much down the market's throat too quickly, and it has trouble digesting it. We don't seem to be at that point right now.
2: No, well, maybe Waller threw a, a trial balloon
6: out there today. I mean, these guys aren't stupid. You are I mean- 100% accurate, sir. Right, <laughs> right? 100% accurate. 100%. Right, but, but Scott, um, I've got a question for you. If you settle all the scores here on halftime, does that mean you still have to do overtime or you're always going to do overtime? I wasn't quite sure about that.
2: The way these guys are, I can never settle all the <laughs> scores. That's the problem. That's why I see. Overtime. So you always
6: have to go to overtime. <laughs> yeah, trust always that. have to go to overtime. I we, just wanted to always. be sure. Congratulations on the new show, my friend.
2: Oh, I appreciate it so much. Yeah, that's the thing. There's always something going on <laughs> in, in our overtime. Um, Steve Weiss has a question for you, Leisman. Okay.
3: Yeah, Steve. Uh, I'm one score can never be settled, even in overtime. Steve, let me, let me ask you this. When was the last time the Fed came out as this hawkish? Do you have to go back to the 70s, to the 80s? Uh, when was that period of time?
6: I think, I think 94, if I'm not mistaken. Guys, can you put up FFED on a monthly basis and go back to 90, uh, 90 or so? I think that you would see a fairly rapid—I'm sorry I didn't have it ready for you. I should have— um, uh, you see a fairly rapid rate, like the market didn't take too kindly on it. At the same time, Bullard's point today is that that's when they did a rapid rise in rates. um, And uh, they they did get control of inflation. And you had a pretty good second half of the 90s there. So uh, this is very aggressive. This would be one of the most aggressive rate hike cycles. But hey, when was the last time we had a pandemic? When was the last time we had supply shocks? When was the last time we had 7% inflation? So Uh, You know, I think I think what what the Fed is doing now was probably warranted and I think arguably late.
2: Yeah. Hey, Leisman, I appreciate it very much. And, um, you know, I'm going to see you in overtime. So don't get too used to only this halftime thing, okay? Well, only settle those scores in a nice way, Scott. Absolutely. That's That's Steve Leisman. Appreciate you being on the program, uh, as always. And look, the the conversation about the Fed plays squarely into one of the most uh, important conversations, I think in the market right now, and and that is those ARK stocks, the growth stocks, which have acted incredibly well this week, despite what appears to be this road ahead for the Fed. The question is, have those stocks corrected enough, which I know a lot of you who are watching this show have owned and have seen them come down and you've sat on some some pretty big losses and maybe you're wondering whether they're going to reverse, whether I should add more. And you've had some people weigh in on that. Marco Kolanovic, I mentioned his note yesterday, got everybody talking. He said the correction in bubble sectors is now likely finished, that there are great opportunities in high beta and innovation and in technology. That's butted up against another thing that Ricky Sandler told me. Let's listen to that and then we can discuss these stocks on the other side. We've definitely corrected some meaningful amount of where the exuberance was. Um, I personally don't think it's over. I, I don't think that we have cleaned out all of the uh, excessive optimism on companies that are growing uh, just top line, but not profits or companies that have large TAMs, but, but difficult um, uh, paths to attack those TAMs. So, so I, I think we've, we've had a good amount of the damage, but I don't think we're done with it. I mean, Doc, I'm curious as to what you think. You know, that this week has been very good. The innovation fund is up 16 percent and many of the names within it in the, in the exact universe of, of what we're talking about here have surged in, in some cases more than 20 percent each. Does this mean the worst is over? Who is right, Kalanovich or Ricky Sandler?
5: Um, I, I tend to side with Kalanovic, Scott. Uh, I only really have recently traded one of these names, and that's DocuSign, which I would put in with that group. Other than that, uh, I haven't really seen the institutional adoption get back in. They probably didn't want it uh, on their sheets, either at the end of the quarter or even just the end of the month. Um, but could we start seeing people coming back into a very battered sector like this? that just as you cited, is up triple what the S&P is up this week, a little more than three times? Uh, yeah, you could, um, but that's uh, that's something that will play out over weeks and months. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of slings and arrows shot over at Kathy and her team. Um, I think a lot of it undeserved. She's a longer-term play rather than a short one, just like you and I have discussed. It's much more like... If you're trading, you know, the the triple levered S&P 500, you know you're in for the short term. That's a very short term trade because it resets every day. If you're in something like Kathy's arc, you have to be giving her group the time it takes for those innovations to play out rather than saying, oh, it's going to be 16 percent, 20 percent this week. That happens occasionally, but more often than not, that's a slow grind higher that might beat the rest of, you know, the tortoise and the hare kind of race. Um, And I would definitely be betting on Kathy and the tortoise, especially at this level of those stocks, Scott.
2: Brenda, what do we think about this? And I also note that you sold Affirm, um, which I'm going to look up right now as, as we have this conversation. I mean, Affirm is having a nice day today. But again, we're talking about a stock that was from 176 down to 40.
4: Yes. And I, you know, I think there is still more caution to be had amongst the group of high-growth, unprofitable companies. Um, So Affirm certainly falls into that category. And in this case, we continue to believe in the business model here. Uh, So this was not a fundamental decision per se, although I will say that um, we're believers that buy now, pay later, will continue to gain market share. Um, And Affirm is very well-positioned, has great partnerships, but we think it's just going to take time and execution for the company to really prove that this is a viable model that can take share. And that can potentially perform well, even in an economic period of slowness or even possible recession, because there's certainly a lot of skepticism out there. Um, And again, we're believers, we're keeping it on our radar screen, but we did decide Uh, to to sell the position. We invested the proceeds into Cisco. uh, SYY is certainly a very different company, uh, but one where we think there is also opportunity. You know, this is a consumer staple company. Uh, They're usually characterized by low growth, but this company has positioned itself very well, particularly throughout the pandemic and was really able to gain market share. It still plays in a really highly fragmented market. So it only has 17% share. Also, a reopening story as more large venues, hotels, restaurants continue to reopen globally. We think this company is really well positioned but to see, benefit from here,
2: that. Here, Jason Snipe is the is the conundrum for for some of the folks watching this show or any investor who's had these kinds of stocks is exactly what Brenda just said. She doesn't have a problem with the fundamentals of the company at all. And so she can continue to make a bullish case for the fundamentals moving forward over a long period of time for a company like a firm but realizes that interest rates may be going up and stocks like this can't perform in that environment. At least that's what she thinks. How about that? How do I figure all that out?
1: Yeah, and I think Brenda makes a great point just on you know, the, business, the business models of these companies and, and playing into the narrative. And yes, Scott, I mean, these companies are hard to invest in in this stage of the cycle, right? So if I look at a shop or a Twilio, that are both off 52% off their, I'm sorry, over 60% off their 52-week highs. And both have bounced tremendously this week. I think Shop's up 20%, Twilio's up 14%. And I own them both. And I'd I like to see a little bit of a bump here. But I understand I've right-sized these positions, understanding that this cycle is going to be challenging for them, but I believe in them long-term. And I think that's kind of the Kathy Wood story. And you just need to understand, you know, how these, dip, how these types of companies, high beta names, perform in these types of environments.
2: Right. Weiss, how, how do you deal with that kind just, of question, right? You can bet on the fund. You believe in the fundamentals. Right. But the environment just says to do something different. It's like what Ricky Sandler was saying. I mean, you can think that these companies – are great, but the track of interest rates just makes these stocks not workable.
3: This is the period that reminds me of of 2000 when the Internet bubble burst. You had lots of companies with great fundamentals, and it was a moment in time. We're coming off a moment of time that we've never seen with zero interest rates with an insatiable appetite for the next new thing. But what has to happen now is that you can't just be a fundamental analyst, you've also got to be a stock analyst. And that's where it gets tough. So you can look at a company, say great fundamentals, they're growing, et cetera, et cetera. But as a stock, it's just not going to work. So I think you're smoking dope at this point. If you think those stocks can go back to where they were, or even close to where they were because of a perfect situation that existed that got them to that point. I mean, and SPACs are, by the way, symptomatic of what we saw then. So you can't say that they'll go where they are unless you also believe SPACs go higher. And guess what? They're not either. And a lot of them won't exist. So I think move on with it. It was a moment in time. Great trade if you took advantage of it. Mm. Don't do any celebration because they're up 15 or 20 percent this week when they're still down quite a bit. Use it as an opportunity to get out. And that includes the Chinese stocks. The, the view hasn't changed that I've had. So I've been negative, as you know, and short off and on. I'm Baba from 250. Now people talking about, oh, I bought it this week and it's up 30 percent. I'm a hero. No, you're not. You're lucky. Get out now. So look, I'm not getting paid for the risk in this market. Yeah. Russia, while the human tragedy is beyond anything we could even tolerate or even look at, they're a pimple in terms of the global economy. China's not that pimple. So if China... They, if they assist Russia, we don't know if they will or not, then that's going to be a whole different issue. And that upsets the entire global economy. Do you really think you're getting paid for that risk in this market right now? OK. I say no. That's why I continue to be cautious. <laughs> OK. Up next,
2: our headliner, Trivariates it's Adam Parker. He says it's time to start thinking about one specific part of the market. It's our call of the day. We're back in two minutes.
9: Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. In the Ukrainian city of Lviv, a solemn display to honor children killed during the Russian invasion. 109 empty baby strollers set up in a square in the middle of the town. The U.N. has confirmed 816 civilian deaths in total, but the actual number is believed to be much higher. A Western official says he sees no evidence to suggest that Russian President Putin has changed his intentions for Ukraine, Despite military setbacks, that's as Putin held a rally with tens of thousands of people to praise his troops and also celebrate the eighth anniversary of Crimea's annexation. On the news tonight, meantime, team coverage on the ground in Ukraine of the damage done and the fight to survive. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. And a former Arkansas deputy has been found guilty of a misdemeanor charge for the fatal shooting of a teenager during a traffic stop. Michael Davis, however, was acquitted of the more serious charge of manslaughter. He faces up to a year in jail. Scott, I'll send it back to you.
2: That, Rahel, thank you. Now to our call of the day. It comes from one Wall Street strategist who says to go small for big returns. Let's bring him in. Adam Parker is the CEO and founder of Trivariate Research. Welcome back, AP. Hey, good to see you, Scott. So small caps, I mean, it's a big and somewhat controversial call here. I mean, you better hope the economy doesn't weaken and that rates don't go up too much
7: yeah I, I think what we do is we ingest about 150 macro variables and we create some gauges for economic activity industrial activity consumer etc and our work shows that typically small caps outperform in this sort of macro backdrop now you couple that with the fact that small caps have lagged a, a lot that lagged a lot in the uptape last year and have not done well relative this year in the downtape, and the fact that the margins for small caps um, you know, ha- have lagged but now look like they're holding up a little bit better than large caps from here. So what am I paying on price to sales for the gross margins? It looks relatively more attractive for small than large. So I think the risk reward is skewed there to the positive. Obviously, you know, a strengthening dollar is bad for large and there's some other mitigating factors. But net net, I think the risk reward skewed towards small beating large over a six, 12 month
2: view. What is, quote unquote, this sort of macro backdrop? H- how would you describe it? How do you, what do you see?
7: I think overall economic activity is still increasing. Um, I think the consumer is probably peaking a little bit. Industrial activity is very high but plateaued. Generally, uh, you know, the dollar strengthening, I think, if you look at across the board, financial conditions tightening. Generally, small caps have a little bit less non-U.S. exposure, so the strengthening dollar doesn't impede their P&L as much. Uh, generally, um, the large caps had better pricing power out of the gate, and I think that's part of the reason they did well in the uptake last year. But that seems to be, you know, balancing out a little bit here. And so as you get farther and farther from the trough, uh, I think the lower margins, you know, small caps can have a bit more margin expansion from here. Large caps, it's just harder for many of them to expand margins at the rate they did. So it's but a little I mean, bit of a relative profit margin call.
2: I know, but the, the dollar has been weakening, hasn't it? And people like Jeffrey Gunlock think that it's going to continue to weaken. It just
7: depends. It, it de- yeah, it, it depends on what what basket. Um, You know, you're looking at obviously dollar euro probably matters the most for, um, you know, U.S. equities and aggregates like staples, et cetera. So it really depends. I I think it's just a function of the fact that you had um, an unusual scenario of a big risk on tape last year and small caps lagging that created this big valuation disparity. And so what I look at and it made sense, I guess, in retrospect, right? I mean, large caps have more pricing power. They have more ways to absorb rising costs. But now that most of that, you know, or some of that's behind us in terms of their ability to absorb it, it kind of evens the playing field out a little, and I have lower margin at a lower multiple for software. So that's, I think, you know, the relative comparison. I think it's about relative estimate achievability, Scott. I think that's...
2: I mean, let's be clear, though. Um, This this all comes down to, in some respects, that you don't believe the Fed. You don't believe that the Fed is going to raise rates nearly as many times as the plot would suggest, nor... What Governor Waller told Steve Leisman earlier today.
7: You know, I I just I think what matters is the perception about interest rates more than the reality. So like the Fed fund futures, and we do a lot of work looking at equity returns on changes to Fed fund futures, because that's what seems to drive stocks, not the actual two or 10. Um, You're right. I don't think they're going to end up being as hawkish as they've been or as the sentiments inflected over the last few months. But what's interesting is, and you know this, the small cap universe has a more skewed constitution toward financials, REITs, et cetera. So if you do get that, I don't know if directly that hurts small versus large in in terms of that one call that we're talking about. But, yeah, I think they'll do less if they're as aggressive as some people say. I think they risk a recession at a higher probability. And if I'm taking a step back saying, okay, what really happened here in the last three months, we got more hawkish on rates and we got a growth scare. So if we're being intellectually honest, the probability 2023 earnings are above 2022 is lower than it was three months ago. I, I, I subscribe to that view. I, I still think they're going to grow, but that's a, that's a real risk that's formed in the last three months. And know, it's different the, than I would have
2: viewed it. But uh, the flat originally. curve of a, a flattening curve is what you have now is not yeah. good for financial stocks. Which are, as you, know, you said, the it, largest it, part of the small cap universe. Yeah,
7: yeah I think it just depends if, if it's deep in some variety, if Look, this is the. It's funny this morning. Scott was the first time I thought maybe I should buy some two year in my personal account. Right, so it'll be interesting to see if you get demand on the shorter end of the curve because all of a sudden you're thinking, all right, well maybe I can buy that close to two percent a year for two years. It's not that much duration risk. So look, you could get some steepening if this happens. We'll see. I'm not a, a rate expert. What I'll tell you though is all the rate experts I know are usually wrong. And so, when everyone gets super skewed on the hawkish side of the aisle, making the directionally dovish bet has been the right move most of, if not all, of the last decade. So, if and not I six your, more, I think your panelists will agree. If,
2: if not six more, and then I got to go. If not six more hikes this yeah. year, and you heard Waller say you could get 50 at more than one meeting, what do you, right. what do you say? What's, what's your number?
7: You know, look, I don't, I don't. I'm not an interest rate strategist, but what I know oh, is what's in on, the price man. of the
2: stocks. Come on, man. No, you, can't, I'm saying- you can't say that you don't believe the Fed and then not give me a, a, your view on how many hikes you think we're going to get.
7: I, I think if, if what's priced in is six to seven, I'll take the under. I think what what's more important scott though whether it's three or four i don't know but what I, what I think is more important is what's priced into the stocks relative to expectations that's what we're experts at that's what we spend a lot of time looking at where do you have statistically significant relationships above and beyond equity market beta what are the relative opportunities so if i get anything directionally dumb like biotech rips or i, I could find things that are mispriced for the innovation in that environment and that's obviously what what trivariate's
2: expertise is, I understand that. But you got a doctorate in statistics, trying to tell me you don't know about interest rates?
7: Yeah, well, you know they give they give those PhDs away for away for free. Yeah. You know. <laughs>
2: okay. I'll see you soon. That's Adam Parker. Yeah, Tiberius. man. Take care, guys. All right, you as right. well. Up next, John's got his unusual activity. We're back after this.
8: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. And a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower? The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. Edwardjones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
2: All right, Dr. J. Unusual activity. What do you see today?
5: Well, Scott, uh, starting with investment grade corporate bonds, the ETF is LQD, and we're seeing big buyers of puts in this one, Scott. This one has traded down, 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 made a little bit of a bounce this week, but people are looking for it to go significantly lower. Why do I say that? Because 10,000 of the June 118, that's the 118 strike puts, have been purchased today with this index just north of 121. Um, it doesn't move real fast, but it has been moving from the upper left to the lower right in a pretty uh, defined pattern. So I'm in the put spreads for this one, Scott. Second one, NVIDIA, or NVIDIA. You choose how you want to say it. Um, this one, Scott, uh, we talked about those 230 calls earlier in the week when you and I were on Tuesday, I think it was, um, screamed through that. Those are now $30 in the money, and they've rolled out to the uh, 25 expiration in March, that's next Friday, and they're buying the 270 strike at that level, Scott. Some 7,500 of those changing hands. I stuck with the NVIDIA, rolled up, rolled up, rolled up. Now I'm in these all the way up to the 260 strike and short the two hundred and seventy five
2: All right, good stuff. Dr. J, thank you very much. Check out this mystery chart now. Thank it's one you. of the best-performing stocks last year, and one of our own investment committee members now, is making a move back into the name. They're going to call in, tell us exactly what it is next. Welcome back. Another one of our investment committee members making a move in their portfolio. It is Stephanie Link, and she joins us now on the phone. Steph, in what's been a busy week for you, you called into (laughs) overtime. You told us about some moves there. You made some new things here in half, and now you got another one. What is it?
0: Yeah, so I'm getting back into Fortinet. Um, you know I've liked the cybersecurity industry for some time. I especially like the network firewall subsector. That's a $5 billion market by 2026. And yet Fortinet is down 16% after even beating the, uh, the quarter on earnings, free cash flow, total revenues. Importantly, the biggest metric I look at is bookings. And bookings actually grew over billings, so they have very good visibility. And their guidance was very strong. Total revenues, billings, bookings, product revenue, all of them are expected to grow north of twenty-seven percent for twenty twenty two. And they're doing a really good job cross-selling and upselling as their customers want to simplify their vendor base. So they're taking market share. So the operating margins are still under pressure because of supply chain issues. They talked about that improving in the second half of the year. They put three price increases in place since November. And you have a catalyst on May 10th. You have an analyst day. So down 16 percent. I like it. I've always liked it. I took my profits a couple of months ago and I'm getting back in.
2: You know, I I recall a conversation I had the other day uh, in overtime with Dan Ives, the, the analyst who said that Palo Alto, is the table pounder, and those were his words the, the, the table pounder in this space, um, but why is that not, and this is
0: well, because I think that Fortinet has not been really um, anywhere in the enterprise, and they have new products, and as I mentioned they 're doing a better job at taking firewall and non firewall products to their clients, and so I think they 're going to continue to maintain market share, but cybersecurity. I mean, this is a place where you absolutely want to look for the opportunities on weakness. So it's not like I don't like Palo Alto. I just think that Fortinet, with their product set, is positioned better for the next 12 to 18 months.
2: I got you. I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. All right. We'll see See you soon. soon. That's Stephanie Link, Jason Snipe, you own uh, Palo Alto Networks.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I really I think obviously cybersecurity is obviously those are the new wars that we're fighting these days. And, you know, they've had really strong revenue growth over the last several quarters. And from from their perspective, I look at Palo Alto as as one of the incumbents in the space. And they've done a lot of reinvestment uh, last year, which I think that will come to fruition uh, this year. And that's why we've seen some spike in, in the name so far this year. OK.
2: Consumer discretionary stocks are leading the way this week. The man you just heard from there, Jason Snipe, is buying. He's buying more of one name in that sector. He'll tell you what it is next on the half. Uh, I told you we have another investment committee move to tell you about, and it's Jason Snipe who bought more of that stock right there. TGT, why?
1: Yeah, Scott. So I added to uh, Target, and it was my final trade last week. You know, in in a market where valuations matter, I mean, it's trading at 15 times forward, has a dividend of 1.64%. Operating leverage really doing well here. It's trading a little 18, about 18% off its 52 week high. They've really seen a lot of strength in the multi channel multi-channel consumer and flawless execution throughout the pandemic and i think that's why they're benefiting from customer loyalty here so i I like target and i decided to add some capital
2: okay so dr j i know you like target as well obviously and we don't need to talk about that for all the reasons why you do love it what i'm surprised at is if you love target why do you have xrt puts
5: um because i don't love all of retail scott obviously xrt gives me um, a little broader swath I think Target outperforms um, since you and I are all about alpha. um, I want that alpha. I don't just want something that's going to track all those retailers. uh, So that's why I think it's a little bit of a hedge. But it's also because I think many of them, you saw from Joanne today, for instance, J-O-A-N, they said shipping costs are up $60 million higher than they were same time last year. I think a lot of retailers can't stomach that, Scott. And I think then those are the ones that are going to be weak.
2: OK, fair enough. We'll come back with final trades after this. Do not miss overtime tonight on this Friday at four o'clock Eastern time. We have some big interviews coming your way. Jim Chanos, the founder of Kinecos Associates, will be with me. It's now the time to cover your shorts. Now the time to double down. I'm ask him that very question. He'll give me the answer, I hope. Masellam's John Duskin is going to join me, too. He has a new activist campaign we just learned about today. He's going to come on, talk about the company. He's targeting now what he wants and what the company is saying in response to him. So don't miss that. Overtime today, 4 o'clock Eastern time. A lot of other good stuff coming up after the bells ring. Final trades right now. Brenda, you're first.
4: Go yeah, with Amazon, this is a company that really invested very heavily in the business last year. A lot of those investments, if we think, went into logistics, we don't think they're going to have to repeat the same level of investment this year. Everybody knows that we're in a, an environment of higher uh, labor costs. They have them, and they're baked into, into the numbers, but we think there could be some surprise on the margin from that lack of additional spending this year.
2: Okay, thank you. Jason Snipe, what do you have?
1: I like healthcare care here, Scott. I mean, return to preventative care, return to elective surgeries, a strong pharma uh, pipelines here. So I like health care. Stay long.
2: Thank you. Steve Weiss.
3: FedEx, I, the quarter came in as I expected, but for different reasons. They were right on the money, on the top line. The bottom line, they missed. I thought it would be because of labor and oil, but they managed that pretty well. It passed through anyway. Is because of Omicron's temporary. At 10 times earnings, I added more to it today on the further decline in stock.
2: I'm going to see you uh, in the OT uh, tonight, Weiss, because we're having our own little version of Friday Night Fights. You... And Jim Labenthal are coming on in overtime to go mano a mano on whether we, in fact, have bottomed or not. I can't wait for that debate. I will see you later on. Dr. J, what do you have for your final trade right now?
5: Boston Scientific's got BSX April 43's medical, surgical sales and cardiovascular double digit growth. Love the company.
2: Okay. I said we have the best week for stocks since November of 2020 for the three major averages. Um, see what happens between now and overtime, and I'll see you then. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's halftime report, the podcast. You can always catch us live, weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.